Welcome in. It's the BCJ podcast here on BearcatJournal.com, brought to you by the Holy Grail. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And a big-time special guest this week as we are joined by none other than the Cincinnati Bearcats' own and a Baltimore Raven, Chris Moore. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show. You're you're in town. You're 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 in your father-in-law's basement, uh, training for the NFL here in Cincinnati through this whole quarantine, huh? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we actually just started our kind of our off-season workouts, so we've been doing Zoom meetings. They've been doing our whole workouts over Zoom, and then we've been doing our, our, our little classroom work over Zoom, too, so it's been interesting. How difficult has that been, like, adjusting to all of that? Or is it, is it just something you take in stride and, and realize it's just part of the process? Yeah, it's just something you take in stride. It actually hasn't been as bad as we thought it was. The, uh, it was a good thing the uh, Raven sent us a bunch of workout gear, like workout bands and all this equipment, so – we just hop on there in the morning and we get our workout in, we go to, we drive down to the field real quick and get a run in and then we're back in meetings. So it's actually been pretty good. I think uh, a lot of us don't want to admit it, but we like it more because we get to sit at home. <laughs> Dave? Yeah, the, the veterans probably don't mind missing the, uh, the OTAs and mini camps and all that. Definitely. So uh, what's uh, how has this been, man, mentally dealing with the news that everybody was that everything was shut down and uh, trying to readjust? And, and obviously, you're, you said you, were, you came back to train here, but the facility closed. So uh, you're quarantined in Cincinnati. It just how hard has it been mentally or, or is it something that you've handled pretty well? Because everybody's you know, kind of different in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I handled it pretty well, but also I'm around a lot of family right now, so I feel like that makes it a lot easier. Um, the biggest thing for us is just the uncertainty of, like, knowing whether how the season's going to be. Uh, we all hope that everything is open and running by then, but you really never know. So I feel like for me personally, that was my biggest worries all this time is, is are we going to be able to play this season and how is the season going to be? Because we've all heard different things of how everything's going to go. But I'm just trying to keep – the, the most positive outlook I can of this. You signed a one-year deal uh, back in uh, March, right? So how much of a relief was that to get that burden off your shoulders and know, you know, you were going to not only you still have a job in the NFL, but you have a job where you're comfortable and, and with a, a franchise you've really uh, become a part of. Uh, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I ain't gonna lie. I was uh, there and because of this whole Corona thing, it made that whole free agency a little weird. We weren't allowed to, visit teams we weren't allowed to do physicals and stuff so it made the whole situation a little different but uh we had some unfinished business in baltimore we should have been we all feel like we should have been in the super bowl last year and this year we we have the same mindset so i'm excited that if we do get the season going that we should have a way better season than last year and we already had an amazing one you got some dave yeah, go, going into your fifth season in the NFL, where do you think your game has kind of gone, you know, from your time at UC to your first couple of years in the league to where it is now? You know, what are, what's your role merged into and what do you think are, you know, the best attributes that you've developed over the last five years? Uh, I think it was my, one, my maturity level, just my, like, how, how I approach the game different uh, in college. It was more just go out there and have all the fun you can. And, you know what I'm saying, I just ran fast all the time. And now I've learned that this is more – this is a job. This is this is what I do to feed my family and stuff. So 
I, I approach it a different way uh, as far as like on the field stuff, just learning how to read defenses better on the fly, like when I'm running routes. And I didn't play special teams at Cincinnati at all. And then I found me a, a nice little niche in the league so far doing that. And hopefully I can continue to do that for a, a long time and have a nice long career. What, what's when did when's the first time Lamar Jackson did something in practice where you went, oh, this is different. <laughs> probably the first day. He, probably the first day he got out there for real. The, <clears throat> I've never seen somebody who can run sideways as fast as they can run forward. I think that's what's crazy about him. Like. When he cuts and he starts moving laterally, he's running just as fast as he would in a straight line. And I don't think – you can't see that on TV. You can't see it on – like, nothing – film doesn't prepare you to see that in person. That man is just – I said it when I got interviewed when he first got there. He's a freak. And there's just very few people on this earth that, are, that can move like him. Were you guys looking at each other maybe after that first day of practice, looking around going, this guy fell in the second round? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? I mean, it, I feel like more that's just how the NFL systems are. They they like those pocket quarterbacks. It's all about what system he could fit best. Yeah. But definitely, because he can also throw a lot better than people give him credit for. He can make the tight throws into, into windows that you wouldn't think he could do. And he also has incredible ability to, to change his, his throwing angles. Like, he'll throw from the side. He'll throw from up here. Like, he could change his angles, and it, it just comes natural to him. So – I mean, I think the longer he gets to play, the more people will be able to see that he he's going to be here for a long time. He's a really good quarterback. Dave, you got something? Yeah, his one touchdown run last year against the Bengals is probably, like, the main highlight. How many times did you guys watch that in film the next week? Just going crazy. Too, we probably watched it a few times. We watched it nice and slow motion, too, because there was a lot of moves in there. You got you to gotta slow down there because you just can't believe it, like, his field awareness that he even saw all those people coming at those angles and still had the ability to make those moves, it, it's incredible. So we definitely watched it back a few times. Do you, do you look at yourself now and say, man, I, you know, dreams as a kid, you weren't – you were, a, a, what, a mid-three-star recruit, but you, you didn't have a, a big blow-up recruitment. You look at it now, do you look back and you're thinking five years in the NFL and um, just, you know – how thankful for you are that, that you've been able to sustain this and and provide for your family the way that you have oh definitely I mean growing up as a little kid this is I mean this is every football player's dream for real and uh I think the big thing that helped me stay in this league so long is when I first got there uh, a lot of my coaches especially my special team coach said if you no matter what if you want to be on a team and especially the Ravens because our our head coach coach Harbaugh emphasizes special teams more he was like, if you want to play in the league for a long time, you got to you gotta find something else besides being – if you're not that number one receiver, number two receiver, to be on that, to be on that 53 every week, you got to have another reason why the team could put you up there. So I just think I'm grateful that I was able to find that role in special teams and play this long. I mean, it's incredible. I already passed the – what is it, like three years, two and a half years. Yeah. Most players get to play. Uh, I'm like one of the oldest receivers in the room right now, which is crazy because like it just flew by. So I truly am blessed that I'm, I'm in this position. I am. How, how much money did Eli Apple make you? <laughs> I think it was, that, it was the whole Ohio State secondary. It was that game in general. That 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 night was crazy. The craziest part about that is I wasn't even supposed to play that week. I had something happen to my leg the week before, and I couldn't even walk. 
like that week. They, my leg was like locked in this bent position. And before the game, I was warming. They just asked me to warm up a little bit and see if how I was feeling. And I felt all right. And they told me just to go. And it turned into my best football game of my life. So that was an awesome experience. Did you have a lot of teams asking you about that, like through the draft process? Did they want to talk about that game specifically? Uh, they they showed the tape. Most, most of the teams when I talked to them, they wanted to know, like, specific plays. and Why you only got three targets in that game? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, <a little> bit. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, it definitely boosted my draft stock for sure because it showed that I could I can I was a deep threat even against because they won a national championship next year I saw on Twitter everybody's saying that's one of the best college football teams ever so it just it just helped me out more than anything else is that something you'd tell to to, we talked to Josiah DeGuar about this I'm sure you saw the play against UCLA where he came from the backside on an interception and stopped the pick six Mm-hmm. That play changed his life. That game changed his changed your life mm-hmm. against Ohio State. Do you, if you get a chance to talk to the kids at UC, do you let them know that? Like, you, you never know when it's going to be that day that's going to change your life. Definitely. I mean, especially in bigger games like that. For for us, Cincinnati, we're not a Power Five conference, so I mean, people are always going to size us regardless. So when we get that opportunity to play against those teams. I feel like we got to go in there with a chip on our shoulder because, I mean, that game can change your life. That that film is is always on there. Those NFL coaches and scouts watch every single game, but especially those big ones. They want to see how you can perform against the top-level athletes. So that's definitely something I would always tell them. Like, when you go into those big games, go in there with a huge chip on your shoulder prepared to show out because this is your opportunity. Got something, Dave? Yeah, so Coach, obviously most of our fans know Coach Harbaugh, Coach Special Teams at UC. Yeah. Uh, I actually hung out with him a long time ago when the Bearcats played at Alabama. Didn't, didn't go so well. But uh, what's he like just as a coach? And do you guys talk much about UC kind of from the time he was there to when you got there to, you know, where things are now? Yeah, we, we talk a little bit. Uh, the funny thing is, he actually used to, where my father-in-law stays, he stays out here in the Fairfield, Westchester area. And this is where Coach Harbaugh used to live. So it was kind of cool to talk about how the area and how it's changed so much. And also the building from when UC's building from when he was in there, they told me there was, it was plain. There was nothing in there. Quite was, a bit different. Yeah, exactly. So we, we, we definitely talk about that. We actually have more than, than just Coach Harbaugh. We had a whole bunch of our coaching staff was actually on was would have been through UC before so a lot of them knew it knew about the city and stuff and uh actually now my first two years uh my receiver coach coach Weiss under Bush Jones he's there now with me he's actually one yeah. of our assistant special teams coach so it's awesome to see him and talk to him every day but overall coach Harbaugh he's a he's a good head coach he knows how to He's really well at. He's really good at getting us prepared for every game. Uh, we go over every little detail, and he spares no details when uh, when getting us prepared. Take me through the recruiting process, Chris. Uh, what was your recruitment like, and and how did Cincinnati kind of jump ahead? Because I believe you were the highest ranked recruit in that class, or one of the top two or three ranked recruits in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you end up in Cincinnati? What 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 turned the tide for you? Um, well, I, I went a whole like little analytical way when I looked at my recruiting process. I, I actually had a spreadsheet of every single team, of every single college I could ever want to, like I even wanted to go to before I even had the offers from them. 
and I broke down all the stats, the depth charts, the quarterbacks, their years. I did. I went to deep detail, and uh, <laughs> Cincinnati was at the top of the list on everything, like passing yards wise. The quarterbacks they had, they were gonna have a bunch of receivers leaving. And then uh, I think one of the things that also helped is I've never. It was crazy because I got an offer from them, and then I've never. No, I started getting letters from them, and I've never seen. I never heard of Cincinnati. Never knew what it was. And all of a sudden, they were playing UConn on TV that weekend. So I feel like it was. It was almost like a little bit of a sign, but also it was just. It was just a perfect fit for me when I knew that this is where I could go to excel my NFL career. I mean, to get yeah, to get to the next level as far as I was gonna get the ball thrown to me. Our offense was wide open. So I was, I was just excited to be there. What was the recruiting pitch from the coaching staff? Like what, what, what were they able to sell you on? And how did you get in your mind that it was, you were gonna be okay dealing with the cold for five months out of the year? <laughs> uh, shoot, when I, was, when I was looking at schools, most of my schools were out of state. So I was gonna be in the cold regardless. I don't think, <laughs> For me personally, I like to I like to travel. I like to go everywhere. So I'm that was never going to be a factor for me. I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think there was one thing that they said that really persuaded me to get there. Besides that, like Coach Jones sat in my living room and said that I was going to have an opportunity to do something great at UC if I came there, and just I, I just wanted that's all I ever wanted was the opportunity to to excel my game, and that's what they let me do. Dave. So while you're at UC, you played with, I mean, should we say the best group of wide receivers that they've probably had? Definitely. So if we just did like best hands, best route runner. Uh, no, you got to ask him the real question. Who's faster, you or Johnny? Well, okay. That, I was going to get to that top. because <laughs> Johnny's fast and yeah. we know Chris is fast yeah. because – like the Ohio State game, other mm -hmm. other plays, but I'm looking at your your Pro Football Reference page, and did did you really run a four five three in the combine? Yeah, my my forty was terrible. It was it was terrible. One of the reasons was one my start isn't my start isn't great. They uh I I forgot when I was doing the whole draft process, I went and visited the Dolphins and they broke it down and like your start is terrible. That's one of the reasons why your 40 is so slow. But also the dude made me run, do it four times. He made me start over like four times. So I never really got a, like a good run. But besides all that, all the coaches, when they, I was getting uh, recruited to that draft process, they said on tape, you run past people. So that's all that matters. So that's why I was never really stressed about it. But as far as the foot race between me and Johnny, I'm going to say me because I'm a competitor and I, I'm not going to let somebody – just say somebody could beat me in a race unless they do it. <laughs> but as long as you don't have to start. Yeah, yeah. We now nah, we could get a, start can, standing up. Yeah, we don't have to do the whole forty down in a little. Well, I, ne I never understood right. that. Like, you don't run off the line of scrimmage like that. Why do you get down in a sprinter's stance to run the forty? Like, especially mm. linemen. Like, yeah. I mean, I the linemen even, would be linemen would be the most logical. Yeah, they the actually are like that. Yeah. Or, Actually, yeah, they're the ones most closest to doing that. But like quarter quarterbacks doing that and yeah. wide receivers, I never really got it. But I, I never got it either. But hey, is what they want. That's what I had to do to get in the league. So I was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> How? What was that like seeing that room develop like it did? Because Johnny came in late. Mikhail came in as a transfer. Shaq was there with you the whole time. Yeah. But at what point did you look around and go, "Oh man, we're loaded." 
shoot, when we, my first year when we came in, we had me, Shaq, Alex Chisholm, and Max Morrison. Max. All of us were in the same class. And when we first did our first, uh, our freshman year camp, we already knew there was something special about our room. We just needed all the opportunity to play. And then as the years go, as those, the years went on and we switched over to Coach Tuberville, I think that was my third year. And they brought mm-hmm. in Johnny and Mikel. We just, me, Shaq, and Chiz, and uh, Max already had, we already had that camaraderie together. We had been there. We already knew what we could do. And then they just added two more pieces that were even, that were just, that just fit in perfectly. So, I mean, it was, we knew our receiver room was going to be scared. We all got the confidence. Uh, our, actually, our last year, we actually had like a, we did platoon swaps kind of. So we, we didn't have starters. We had platoon A and platoon B. And we, every series, we just rotated the two groups. And that's how we played. Uh, that's what's crazy because me and Shaq broke records. And we only probably played half the snaps that we would have if we didn't have so many receivers. And it's crazy because I think a guy like Chiz could have been maybe an all-time great at UC. Definitely. But he, he, he got caught in the numbers game kind of. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, he had a lot of talent. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, that's one of the things uh, when I went to when my rookie year in the league, they were asking me about receivers, and I, I definitely told him Chiz was one of those receivers. I feel like if it, if he was at any other school, that's what we always told each other too. If we were all at any other school, we all would be a starter, the number one receiver at probably any other college that we would have went to. But it, it just so happened we were all in the same spot, and that there's only one ball for what it was seven of us. So and Shaq caught like, most of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did Alex tell you he broke Calvin Johnson's receiving record in high school? <laughs> our our freshman year, that was because that's what because when you coming in, all of us were the top. You know how it is. All of, all you guys are the top at your school, so it's hard to believe like how everybody is. But then he told we got uh, I mean uh, Chizu broke Calvin Johnson's record. We got Max, who was the all time receiver ever in history of high school football. So that was. That was insane. We already knew who Shaq was. He was the man in, in Ohio. And then I just came from Florida, and I was one of the top receivers in the state of Florida. So we all – it was it was awesome. How much do you, do you keep up with those guys? Do you get to talk to Shaq much now that he's Mr. Big-time high school football coach? Yeah, I still talk to him. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to what he's doing. He uh, – I knew after Shaq's uh, playing, playing career was over that that's where he would go next is – he was like the glue for our receiver room. He was definitely the vocal leader, somebody who expressed himself, and he, he did it in a, in a good manner. And I, I feel like that after football, I mean, yeah, after he was done playing, that that's somewhere he would go just because he can – he has a, he has that niche, that special ability to reach out to people and, and, and touch them the way he does. What was it like when he almost left? Were you in communication with him then? Like, were, did, you, did you help save it? Like, what happened there? Nah, I didn't get the help save that much. That, that was a crazy time for all of us. So I think, yeah. especially when Coach Jones was leaving, a lot of us were thinking about leaving just because there's a – I mean, every year there's a lot of uncertainty with coach, uh, coaching staff changes and all of that, and especially the stuff that happened with Shaq while his first two years here. But, I mean, I'm excited he stayed. I'm excited he got that uh, extra year as well because it, it kept us together for another year. What was it like going from – Coach Jones to Coach Tuberville because they're they're kind of with night and day. polar opposites yeah. of, of attitude and, and personality. Definitely, uh, <clears throat> Coach Jones is definitely 
way more out there as a as a vocal person. Uh, he would say crazy stuff. You think on the mic? Man. Yeah, it was way more out there is one of the nicest ways I've ever heard. Yeah, someone I, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be as nice and as politically correct as possible. But yeah, he used to say some crazy stuff on the mic. But uh, me and see me and my some of my good friends still talk about him. Uh, the stuff he did say, it would sound crazy when you're younger, but now when you look, you're older and you look back on it, he said it. He's just a, he just said it wrong. He just his I want to say his approach of saying the stuff was crazy, but he was actually saying some good stuff, and you just had to find a way to weed through how he was approaching you about it and get into it. And then Coach Tuberville, he was just I feel like he was just like a like a, I want to say like a, he knew how to run the team like a almost like a figurehead. Like he let his coaches do what they had to do. He didn't he didn't say too much, but when he did say something, you listened because he didn't say stuff very often, but. It was definitely a night and day experience. How, how was uh, catching passes from Gunner? It was awesome, man. I mean, we were all excited. When they told us that we were getting the top uh, high school recruit in the nation, I mean, you know all of us lit up. Uh, I mean, I caught – I think I had six different quarterbacks throw me the ball at my time at UC. So, it was it was nice just to – I think all of them were amazing, though. That's, that's what was crazy. It, just different circumstances, different things happened, the reason why – Certain ones didn't get to play more than others. Dave. Coach Fickles, you know, really got things going at UC right now. And he's made a big effort to reach out to, you know, the former players and everything. Have you had a chance to to be in contact with him and kind of what's his message to you guys as former players and how does how he hopes that you guys can support the current players? Yeah, definitely. I, I met him uh, a few years ago when I was up at UC and he uh he welcomed us with open arms. That's what I like the most. Uh, I hear sometimes when there's a coaching change, the new coaches don't really care about the past players or anything about that. But you can tell it, there was a whole different culture change when he got into got into office and stuff. And he just, like I said, he welcomed us with open arms. He told us anytime we want to come around, we can. He wants he he's embracing us and wants us to be around the players so we can give them something a positive image to look at and see. Like, man, this is just because we're at. You see, and people who don't give us the respect that we deserve don't mean you can't get to that next level and don't mean you can't be great. How tough were, for it was it for you to watch two, four, and eight seasons from afar? I mean, I, I, I don't get too involved in it, especially when there's a new coach because I already understand how that there's a, right. there's a change works. Because when I was getting recruited, actually, that was Coach Jones' first year, and they didn't do too well. And everybody was telling me, man, why are you going to this school? Why – why this and that? And I'm like, man, you sometimes you got to ride the, the, the little downside to get to this, to the peak where we're at right now. So, I, I mean, I'm impressed about how he's changed his program. He's changed the culture. I mean, I'm, I only get to see so much stuff, but when I see what I see him, them doing with the kids on uh, social media and all that, it's insane. The culture change there. And you can tell that the players are buying in. And then the more a coach gets his players to buy in, he gets his recruits in there. The program just, it keeps going up. You've been back a couple times. Mm-hmm. Is is the, what's the energy like when you've been back? What, what's that vibe you get from the players when you're around them? What you know that that kind of something that only a player would see that you know people from the outside wouldn't see. Yeah, you could tell that they love it there. Like it's when we were there. I feel like when I was in UC, it was feel, I feel like we were there and we were we were working, and it wasn't as much fun I want to say it was still fun don't get don't get me wrong because you're there with your guys you grow up with them you mature with them and college is just an amazing time in itself but like 
Coach Fieldgood did an amazing job, like I said, of changing the culture there and making those kids buy in into a way where, like, the weight room, they go crazy in there. I was like, they got a DJ for the weight room. That's insane. Like, I, I, when I was in college, I hated the weight room. That would have been an easy boost for me to just to love being in there. And well, so, Brady's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I met him. <laughs> He's definitely high energy, but I, I love what I love what I do, they're doing. And the players, they, they uh, receive it very well. So you can tell, like, it just – you can tell the energy there is a lot different. Do you look at the recruiting stuff at all and, and see the success they're having? And, and the, 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 I think that the biggest thing from, from my perspective is that Coach Fickle doesn't – they might not be in the Power Five, but he doesn't let that deter what they can do on the recruiting trail and how they're building the program. And I would say outside of the receiver room, depth was maybe the biggest issue through your era, especially mm-hmm. offensive and defensive lines. Mm-hmm. And when you look around now, that's that's pretty much gone, right? Like it's, yeah. it's they've just they've changed the culture on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I get the tweets that you see in red, you see in black, and I love seeing that. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like you said, the depth issue. I mean, that's where you build your team from is the the O line and D line. You you work out from there. So the fact that he's doing such an amazing job of getting those higher recruit levels and not even always it's not always about the stars though it's about getting those right players that the right guys yeah your program the right way so I mean they're doing an amazing job of it and uh I'm excited to get to to see where they keep taking this thing because like I see the pictures of all the kids and all the they get to wear the full <laughs> outfit and stuff it just, it's insane I, I get a little jealous sometimes wish I can go back but they got the they got the chains, they yeah, got championship belts. Exactly. He, he like I said, he's making it fun for these kids. And I think even the recruits, they can sense that man, they're not only gonna go to a full, good football program, but they're going to a football program where they're gonna have fun and win games. So I think that's what's important to a lot of kids nowadays. Dave. Yeah, couple NFL travel questions. Have you played in London yet? Yes. And what was, if you did, what was that experience like? And what is your favorite road trip to go on? Uh, I have played in London. For us, it was terrible. I'm not going to lie. We, uh, we flew, I believe we flew throughout the night. As soon as we got there, we landed. It was like midday in London, and we practiced a few hours later. So it was crazy. I mean, this, the, the country was awesome. It was, it was cool just to be in a new place, but – I don't think any NFL player truly likes going, making that travel to play a game. The time zone throws you off. It was, it was, it was, it was kind of wild, but it was cool to play in, uh, I believe we played in Wembley Stadium, which I'm a big soccer fan. So that was cool to walk through there and see that and be able to actually play a football game on that, on that pitch. And then as far as my favorite road game, uh, I definitely always like coming back to Cincinnati because I get my, uh, my skyline in. When I come back, so <laughs> that's one of my favorite. Uh, what's what's your order? I get number three, three cheese conies, uh, mustard onions. That's my that's my go to. Not a not. It's funny because a lot of people that that aren't from Cincinnati are coney people. Yeah. The people that are from Cincinnati are three way people. The people outside of Cincinnati are like, why are you putting that on spaghetti? It should go on top of hey, a hot dog. I, with a I'm from here, and I ask the same question all the time. Like, as an Italian, you can't be putting sh- shredded cheese and chili on spaghetti noodles. It don't work. Yeah, I'm a, a Coney only guy. I haven't tried. I ain't gonna lie. I haven't tried it three way because it, it, like you said, it's a little weird to me. I understand why people like it, 
because that's that chili is amazing but I think my favorite my thing why I like Skyline so much is the consistency every time I go there is good like I've never had never went to Skyline and had a bad Coney I just don't think you can I mean so. can, we should get we should cut this and get some ad ad revenue from Skyline like NFL star Chris Moore Love Skyline because of the consistency. He's never had a bad Coney. Yeah, I tweet at them. They, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm trying to get a deal going. I, I hope, to be honest, one day when I'm done with the league, because I'm, I'm actually going to live in Cincinnati when I, when I retire. That's me and my wife's plan. So, I mean, I fell in love with the city. I want to franchise the Skyline. I love it that much. So, hopefully that's something – we can do. Oh, we can. I'll. We'll, I'll get on social and blow that up. <laughs> I mean, if if it's a if it's a food or a beer, we've tried to get them to sponsor Bearcat Journal. So I mean, that's pretty <laughs> I'm not much, dumb. That's that's Chad and mine's niche right there. Yeah, it's, it's the, about uh, too. I'm a Ryan guys fan as well. So, are you a Holy Grail guy? I I'm trying to think the last time I've been there. I don't remember the last time I've been there. We, our two spots are the Holy Grail and Mio's on campus. Okay. I, when, I, when I was in school, we always went to St. Clair's, which I don't know what that – I, I don't know what it is anymore. Yeah, it's, right I, it's, been, it's been so long since I've been to campus, I, I don't know anything anymore. Yeah. And Woody's was still the go-to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Woody's. <laughs> so you, you mentioned – I was going to ask this, but you mentioned – Fran- Skyline franchise, I was going to say, like, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you don't – I can't imagine you're anticipating not playing football for a while still, but, like, what are your thoughts after football? What, what's your interest? What are you hoping to do? Um, yeah, I'm trying to do a couple franchise things, hopefully, when I'm done. But the main thing is I want to get involved in coaching football as well. Uh, I feel like my time I spent in the league, I could have some good knowledge to give to some kids. Even if it's just at the high school level, I'm not – looking for anything huge. I just want to be a receiver coach, to be honest. And hopefully, like, I can teach some kids some some good work ethic because that's the one thing I feel like got me this far, especially is because when I go out there on that football field, I, I give them my all and I, I really work at this. Like, I, I love this more than anything. So I'm hoping I can teach some kids and pass that on to them. You're looking at high school level maybe? Yeah, that I mean, anything really. But high school to start, that would, that would be awesome because I know there's – that's the one thing I liked about how there was – I mean, it's not don't, – don't, don't try to get mad at me. It's not as good as Florida, but it is one of the, <laughs> it's one of the top football states in the country. Well, you, you guys cheat. You play seven on seven in the spring and the summer, <laughs> and then you, you got the, the regular season in the, yeah. in the fall and winter. You, we don't have seven on seven here. I know, I know. But still, I, I'm impressed. I was always impressed by all the football schools here uh, – I've gotten a chance to actually go to a few high school games here. I'm impressed by the fan base here. Like Ohio loves their football more than more so than Florida. So it is awesome to just to be here. So hopefully I can teach these kids and help them grow as football players if that's something they want to do. Have you have you looked at Coach Vick and been like, uh, Gino's back, Mike Mickens was back, Armand Benz is here now. He he's got a propensity for former Bearcats on staff yeah. now. Yeah, I haven't said anything too much yet. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to worry more about my, my NFL career and hopefully make this, excuse me, make this last as long as possible. Because I, I mean, I want to keep playing football until the wheels fall off. To be honest, but I mean, I, we'll see what happens. I, I want to start lower <laughs> first before I get up to that big time. Dave, you got something? So when, and I, I I'm kind of a draft geek. 
and a huge Bengals fan, so I kind of follow the teams around the division and everything. Mm-hmm. So you, your wide receiver room has some new fast talent now, so you, oh, yeah. you're going to have to show these young guys what's up, right? Definitely. I mean, every year, that's the one thing about the league. Every year they bring in guys, and the crazy thing is every year they bring in guys that can play, that are ballers. Like They have not ever brought in groups of receivers, especially since I've been at the Ravens. Every year they brought in guys that were were awesome, either through free agency or through draft. They always do this. So, And I've managed to, to survive this long because I do show them that I can play and that I have uh, extremely high value. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm more take the role of trying to teach them about, like, because my first years I had Mike Wallace and Steve Smith in the receiver room. And those guys were, were great at showing me the work ethic that was needed to be in the league and to stay in the league. So when I see these new receivers, I don't I don't try to like shun them away or treat sorry. No, you're treat fine. Them, <laughs> treat them like like they're rookies or anything. I try to to try almost take them under the wing and show them like, man, this is what you can do to stay in this league for a long time and and be a and be a vet, really. That's crazy though. Five years and now you're the the old man in the room. Like that's yeah. that's got to be wild to you. It, it was mind blowing, especially because all the receivers I've I've seen go through our receiver room. It just the the names like. Steve Smith, Mike Wallace, Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed, John Brown. Like, these are amazing receivers I've seen go through here. So, for me to be even in the same room as them, and now I'm one of the oldest guys in the room, and now these receivers look up to me, it's, it's crazy to even think that. I've, got, you know, I've gotten this far, and I'm truly blessed that I have. Earlier in your career on special teams, you can't, became kind of a, a touchdown machine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How much did that help your career, though? Like, just it, you continued to, to work hard and find yourself in the right place at the right time. It paid off for a special teams coach like Harbaugh. Yeah. Like, he had to just absolutely fall in love with you on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, it's, that's one of the reasons why I'm still in the league is because whenever they put me on that field, I, I knew that I wasn't going to get as much receiver time my first two years. So, whenever I stepped on the field, I was like, I'm going to find a way to help this team win. That's all that matters. And I had, an amazing special team coach at the time who retired, Jay Rothberg. And he he always found a way to put us in positions to make plays. So when I was put in that position, I found a way to make a play. I, I tried my best to do it. And and it just so happened to always go well for me. So uh, it's continued to go well for me. Hopefully uh, I continue to excel and I can get in the Pro Bowl in these next couple of years. Who are some of the guys from the Ravens that you hang out with the most when you when you are allowed to hang out with people? Uh, to Willie Sneed, I hang out with him. I've hung out with uh, a lot. Ronnie Stanley, our left tackle, he, me and him came in the same draft class, so we were, we were real close and good friends. Uh, we, our, our team is actually pretty close for more so than I've heard from other teams. That's what I love about the Ravens the most is our locker room. Like, we have a bunch of good guys, not guys that are all about themselves or self-centered. We have guys that, are, that truly put the team first. And we have so many cool and amazing personalities in that locker room. It's just – it's hard to say. I, I try to hang out with as much of them I can because it's just amazing uh, guys in that locker room. Anything else, Dave? No, I think I'm good, man. All right. Chris, I mean, this has been awesome, brother. It's been great to catch up. I'm going to cut that clip up that you want to franchise <laughs> the skyline. I'm going to put it on Twitter, and I will get their attention. Yeah, tell them we need we need a uh, a skyline commercial or something. Maybe you can bring it. Have them bring it to Baltimore. <laughs> I read on their franchise they they have a miles distance 
that you can only have a franchise from. I've already looked into Baltimore's got to be closer than Florida. Yeah, I saw that. They have one in uh, Fort Lauderdale, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they got that one, but it says you got to be like 250 miles from Fairfield, their headquarters or something, in order to franchise it. So I've already looked into this. I, I, that's something I really want to do when I'm should done. be some, like, fine print unless you play in the NFL or, you know, or Cincinnati celebrity, stuff like that. I ain't going to lie. I don't think uh, the Skyline would do well in Baltimore only because they like to put Old Bay on everything. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. They'll probably ruin it with that. And well, you probably okay. have to, you, you have to take out the cinnamon and put in the old bag. Yeah. Dad and I, since we were talking about food earlier, we also watch a lot of diners, drive-ins, and dives. And <laughs> Chaps Pit Beef in Baltimore looks like one of the best places to get a sandwich I've ever seen. Have you been there? I ain't gonna lie. Somebody asked me. I've never been there, and I, I'm not even sure where it's at. The, it's the, in. A, it's not in a great neighborhood, I don't think, because we <laughs> looked at it when I was. We were in Baltimore for the. Uh, the military bowl a couple of years ago, we stopped in Baltimore. Yeah. It didn't look like it was in a great part of town. Hmm. See, I'm not even sure. I know the place that is famous in the area we go is Jimmy Seafood. Like we, we do yeah. all our events and all our stuff there. They got amazing food and the, uh, the You're owner. You're a crab actually, cake guy? I, I'm actually, I'm allergic to shellfish. I can't even eat that. My, my wife is a big seafood person, so I, she loves it. But they do amazing stuff in the community. So I, I like getting involved with them. And I, I even go there just to get regular fish and stuff. That that night actually ruined crab cakes for my wife forever. We went. I don't even. It's a. It, it's in the the harbor. There's a little mm-hmm. hole in the wall bar that's off like the main strip, like kind of off to the side. Yeah. And she had the best crab cakes she's ever had. I don't think she's had one since <laughs> because she's like, I, I've been to the top of the mountain. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. That's what everybody tells me. So I mean, I I, I personally I've never tried it because I can't eat it. But my wife says they're amazing. Anybody that comes in town and visits we take them over there and get on crab cakes so everybody loves it all right man well thank you so much we uh we greatly appreciate you hopping on with us and like i said we'll, we'll get on skyline's case we'll let them know what's up <laughs> definitely i appreciate you having me on thanks, all right chris. thanks chris right, you have a good chris Moore, wide receiver for the bearcats and five-year vet with the baltimore ravens and uh that was that, dave i don't know if you agree with me on this or not the most underrated Bearcat of the last, like, 10, 15 years, my opinion. Defin- definitely up there. I mean, I think it's a pro- part of it's a product of, like we talked about, with the wide receiver group that he was with. Yeah. That, you know. He still set records. He did. But, I mean, just from the sense of, like, I don't want to say normal, but, you know, in a traditional sense, you don't have that many guys and you're not – and you're not spreading the ball around kind of like they did where he you know would have gotten a lot more targets and been like that maybe true number one when they had you know several guys that depending on probably the game plan and the opponent were the number one for that week so do you know he's still number one in the conference all time in yards per reception well I mean the year he's he had 370 yards yeah. and then whatever the one I think at Memphis, he had a, a real deep one uh, in that game, too. So, yeah, it's got to be in the, in the 20s, I'm sure. I'm a big, I'm a big Chris Moore guy. Wani, as you can tell there, he was always a great guy to deal with. He was easy to talk to. He was very intelligent, um, very analytical. Like, he, he knew what he was trying to accomplish and was able to go out and accomplish it. So, 
Uh, that was one. I was, I, I was kind of in a rut this week on who I wanted to have for the podcast because we've gone so kind of all over the place with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I had an interaction with Chris on social media, and it was like, that's it. That's perfect. You got drives drive like cattail. <laughs> but I, I just thought he would – I thought he would be perfect for it, and that was a, a really good 40 minutes we got out Oh, of. yeah. It was awesome. Got to talk some some NFL, some UC stuff, some recruiting. He's very diplomatic about Butch. I, it's, it seems like everyone tries to one-up each other when people ask them about Butch. They just try to say the nicest thing they can think of. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? The, what? Like, we tried to get Kaz to, to talk crazy about him. Well, and Kaz like, didn't even it's, do it. It's not that he's like a bad dude, but like if you're if you're around if you were around the program, or you he coached one of your teams and then left for your other team, like he did with me. <laughs> you do have a, a different perspective on Butch. I mean, sure. my friends were like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I'm like, yeah, all his little taglines are going to get real tired in a couple of years. And that's exactly what happened when the stories of how maniacal he is starts to starts to come out. But, yeah, it's always funny. Like, he's not a bad guy, but you can't find anybody that's like, says that really anything that nice about him. <laughs> We should have we should have tried to see if we could get could have got some Bob Mangine stories out of Chris. <laughs> I try to get as many of those as humanly possible when we have players yeah. on. You know he doesn't care. No, Bob doesn't care. It's great. Um, so let's uh, we'll hit on recruiting a little bit before we get out of here. Uh, I guess we'll address the Armand Scott situation. Uh, I've talked about it a little bit on the board. Um, I'll go give a little bit more detail here. Um, so. What had happened was <laughs> we had we had what I was labeling as the family weekend where uh, Landon Fickle committed on Friday and then Jack Dingle committed on Saturday and Saturday night, uh, Armand Scott, who is a 6'3 wide receiver, three-star wide receiver from up in the Cleveland area, went to Euclid. Um, he had committed on Saturday night. He was supposed to announce Sunday uh, at one o'clock. And about 12.15, and by the way, he's the younger brother of Arquan Bush, who is a slot corner uh, for the Bearcats, as you know. About 12.15, things, you know, they put out the, uh, are you seeing red tweets at 11.30? About 12.15, things kind of started feeling like they were going sideways something was something was happening um behind the scenes what had what had really gone down um the family had made a plan armand had decided he wanted to to you know speed up the process and make a commitment the family had made a plan that that upcoming week they were gonna they had four finalists cincinnati kentucky iowa state and wake forest and they were going to do virtual tours, visits with all four of those schools. And then they were going to make a commitment uh, over the weekend, uh, which would have been this past weekend. Um, for whatever reason, Armand jumped ahead of that plan, uh, committed that Saturday night, and was set to announce on Sunday. His mom found out, uh, and his coach found out, and they put a stop to it and said, we had a plan, you were supposed to follow the plan, you did not follow the plan, so you're not committing, uh, you're going to wait, 
I do think a certain uh, assistant coach at a school where he landed had a hand in how things, how all that played out and maybe putting a stop to uh, his commitment to Cincinnati. But that's kind of – We're not naming names or anything, but – I'm not giving that guy enough thought to name his name. You know who it is. So that's that one's kind of how that that played out. Um, and then, as you know, he did the tour of it. He did the visits, uh, the virtual visits. And then, what was it, Saturday night or whatever? No, Sunday night because I was it interrupted while I was watching Last Dance. He committed to Kentucky, so uh, I don't. I don't think that one's over. I don't think they're throwing in the towel on that one. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why? I mean, why? Why would you? Right. Like, I mean, well. They've had some kids that have said no that they've just closed the door on. Well, yeah, I'm, that one, though. With the connections that are there, Coach Freeman has a, has a, a long connection there. Um, I, I, I don't think I would put that one to rest yet, so no. we'll see. Uh, also, the other news, uh, recruiting-wise, that has uh, captivated the message boards today, Dave. Corey Kiner ups oh, his yeah? commitment date to Monday. Oh, a second move up? Yeah, now he's committing on May 11th. All right. Um, a Michigan writer crystal balled him to LSU. It, I mean, right now it looks like Cincinnati and LSU. Um, if he's a take at LSU, my guess would be right now that he ends up at LSU. There's still some um, – uncertainty depending on who you ask yeah uh, whether he's a take for LSU or not uh, I, I the way that it's trending though gives me pause to thinking it's going to be Cincinnati and what we do know uh, and I put this on the board Louisville's out and it would appear that Michigan is also out so it sounds like Kiner is notifying people uh, when they are no longer in consideration for his services and Cincinnati has not received that notification, which to me would say that they are still very much in play for whatever happens on Monday. Any questions from you that, that jump out on this? No, I mean, I, you know how I look at those situations. I mean, damn team just won the national championship and, and you're, you're up against it up against them for a kid. Now, he's from Cincinnati. So, if he wasn't from Cincinnati, would they even be in the picture? Probably not. But, I mean, you can't win those battles if you're not even in them. And I know, you know, recruiting is hot, to say the least. I mean, last time I checked, they were still top 20. But, I mean, play the percentages. If a kid's going to have a chance to go there and they, and they want him, it's going to be hard for us, us to get him. So, but that doesn't mean that I don't think they can. But, you know, if you're going to get into 10 of these type of battles, realistically. You're not you're going to win a lot of them. You're only going to win maybe one or two. And right. that's because of the, locale, the local connection and maybe some 
some family things or some friends on the team already or in a recruiting class. There's always going to have to be some, you know, extras for us in those type of games. But I always want to be in those type of games. Because eventually you'll break it, you'll break through. You're not going to go over in every one of those situations. So, right. you know, you, you shoot your shot, so to speak. And if you, don't, if you don't land it, you don't land it. But, I mean, I think they've, they've handled it probably. You know, I, I would guess that in this, in this particular case, the current global situation has probably hurt them a lot. Um, without being able to get him to spring practices, a spring game. Well, I don't think so with him. He's been on campus an but still, infinite it's, it's number of times. It's just the continuation of, like, yeah. the, the connectivity of it all. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been here plenty. I'm not saying, like, that they would show him some new thing that he'd never seen before. But just, like, the the continual connectivity of always – you know, you know, being around and, and things like that, where you just kind of – I think some of these guys, they just kind of, like, morph and grow into, like, I'm, like, I'm part of the program now. Like, they treat me as right. I'm that's fair. on the team, even though I haven't even committed yet. And so when it comes down to it, they're like, man, I just, I've already become such good friends with all these guys. I love all the coaches. I'm just going to commit because I feel like I'm already on the team. And that I don't think that part of it – has been there because of what's been going on. No, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to see how the next five days plays out. Because I, I get the sense, you know, it's a, right now it feels like pretty much a two-horse race, and the horses are aware of each other. And LSU is the bigger, probably stronger, faster horse. They don't always win. Usually they win. They don't always win. So we'll see. We'll see on that one. Um, I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about, Dave? Um, I mean, pretty pretty boring. Still still no sports, so still pretty bored. Uh, The the NFL draft was a a nice – three days of, of fun and now we're back to nothing. I'm, I'm not going to watch KBO baseball. I'm not, I'm not doing that either. Uh, I, I'm, I'm almost done with uh, the Americans series. Uh, I watched like the first four seasons a long time ago and then for whatever reason didn't get to the last two. So I'm almost done with that. I haven't gotten into, t- I still haven't gotten into TV shows. It's not, it's just not, other than I've been playing. I've been, I, I, I'm playing back through Grand Theft Auto Five. We have a we have a, a ten month old, so he he's enough enough going on right now that I. I <laughs> you know. So. I've had a puppy whining at my office door for most of this hour. <laughs> well, and we haven't really heard him, so that's good. He just sits there and gives a little. Oh, 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 no, but I I think we're like we're kind of entering that month or so phase where when it comes to things in the fall decisions are going to have to start being made yeah um you know over the next probably month month and a half i mean 
especially for college. I mean, the the pros, you know, that's that's a that's a real big boy job. They're going to tell those guys what to do, and they're and they're going to do it if that's what they think is best. College, there's a whole lot more that goes into that. Um, so we'll see. I mean, as as these states start to try to get back to making money. You know, we'll see how that goes and and where, you know, a lot of schools have started to, of course, you have to preface it with like expected or planning to, but more and more schools are talking about how they are expecting or planning to come back in the fall with, you know, students on campus, which is better than them saying that right now that we're not going to do that. You know, obviously things can change, but it's just going to be wildly interesting. Like, will some schools in one conference say, well, we're good to go, while other schools in the same conference say, like, no? I mean, there's so much unknown right now that anybody that still that says they, they kind of have an idea of what's going on, I'm not sure you can really believe. I don't believe anything yet. I mean, that's just – I still think we're too far out from knowing what's going on to know. Right. And you, and you hear like coaches or athletic directors talk about like, well, you know, we need to know for football purposes, like by July, I think that is them saying like in the best case scenario, right. We would love to have X six weeks or whatever, but realistically, like we talked to Brady, they, you know, Matt, Matt Campbell at, Iowa State talked about him playing at Mount Union. The guys had summer jobs and showed up three weeks before the season. And well, won. that was ten years ago. Not that it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago that right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't need. I mean, would they love to have six weeks? Sure, but I don't think the way that these major programs have handled this, I don't think they need that much time. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, there could. I've heard, you know, no, not, no non-conference games, just moving stuff back a few weeks. Who knows? I mean, I think, I think anything and everything is technically on the table because I don't think even these big schools, even in LSU and Ohio State, they can take it better, but no one can afford to not have a college football season. Like, the schools can – the athletic department right. cannot afford to not have a season. Well, that's because, and, and I'm interested, and in, we could probably talk about this for another two hours. I'm interested to see how this changes things going forward because there was always this, like, process that everybody had to spend every dollar that they had every year. Well, like, and these these certain some big schools like. Do we see like, hey, maybe we don't need that slide in the football building that takes you out to the putt putt course that's right next to the lazy river in the outdoor basketball courts? Like, right, and that's where that all comes from. Is that there's, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten, all those schools are getting fifty, sixty million dollars every year on top of everything else, and there was a belief that you have to spend it all because, well, what it goes back to, if we're being honest they can't start saving money. Right. They're, they're not for, they can't just build up a coffer of TV revenue money and spend half of it and just keep accumulating it. That's not allowed. Well, because 
if they did that, then the players would say, yeah. oh, look, there's an extra $23 million every year that you guys aren't spending, and we want it. Mm-hmm. That's really what the, 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 the sure. gist of it all. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine- maybe NLI changes that some, but I don't think it does. Because I think if, if the, the, they do start saving money, putting money away for a rainy day, as it were, the kids are going to come back for it. And rightfully so. Yeah. You, you're not spending this on us. Like you're not right. spending this on facilities, equipment, nutrition, education. You're not spending it at all. You just, it's just in a bank account somewhere. So why can't we have it? Interesting. It's interesting. I don't want to get too deep into it because we'll sit here and talk about it for another hour and a half. Well, and there's just, there's still just so much like just unknown. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody says, oh, we're, we're, we're expecting to come back to campus. Well, I mean, like, are you, are these schools buying up tests? Are, I mean, like, nobody, no one has said anything that makes me believe that. I think they're just saying that at this point to put their incoming students and current students on some level of ease and hoping that they'll pay for tuition. Right. <laughs> not knowing whether they're going to be actually coming to campus or not. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks to, uh, thanks to Chris. That was really good. I thought it was uh, a good insight and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the first customer at his skyline chili. Cause we're going to make, we're going to yeah. make, we're going to make it happen. Me, me, Chris and I have this, have the same order. I'm fat. So I usually go four cheese conies. But, <laughs> but, do you, do you order the number three and then get an extra cheese coney? Is that how you do no, it? No, I usually just do the, just four cheese conies on their own. I don't even know what the, whether, what is the number three? What does the combo there get you? Three, three, three cheese conies and a drink. Oh, no. Then I, I just get the. You go straight four. Yeah. And a, and a drink, I guess. I don't know. What, what, what's your skyline drink? Oh, large Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew. Mountain Dew large Mountain Dew. Yeah, of course. I always find that fascinating that, especially now, like, as we're, we're doing things from home a lot more, you have to get, like, whatever the drink was to match. Like, if I, if I do three ways at home with the canned stuff, <laughs> you gotta if go it's get Skyline, I got to have a Mountain Dew. Yeah. If I do Dixie Chili, Dixie Chili is a Coke product. I got to have a Coke with Dixie Chili, and I got to have a Skyline Mountain Dew. That's right. And it's funny because it's the same thing. Yeah. But my brain says Dixie right. Chili gets I mean, Coke. If you were going to go there, that's what you would get. So if you're having exactly. it at home, you got to do the same thing. All right, man. Well, um, put your thinking cap on and uh, he, he, let's figure out who we want to talk to next week. All right. Let's be creative. All right. Think out of the box. Today it was – my most underrated Bearcat performer of the past 10 years or so. I got, I got, I got one that, that one came to mind that I'd like to talk to. Okay. So you want to speak it into existence? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Not a, it's not a player. Okay. So I, I, I'd like to try to get former coach Tim Murphy on the podcast. You would have to carry that one because I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't involved in, the, in that era. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of the stories, but um, you would know that era better than better than I. Well, I mean, I was like, he was the head coach when they took the trip to Alabama that I was talking about 
when I hung out with Coach Harbaugh, um, went to the special teams meeting. I mean, I, I don't even know if I was like 10 years old then, so I don't know if I, <laughs> if I know much of what was going on at that point in time either, but. That's when you snuck, you snuck off from your parents or something? Like no, they didn't well, know you were my, there? Dad and my, my dad and my gr- – so Coach Harbaugh invited me to team dinner and then to the special teams meetings. And my dad and grandpa went out to dinner, and their dinner ran late or something. So when I got back to the hotel room, they still weren't there. So I went back down to the lobby and ended up hanging out in Coach Murphy's room. And – when my I left them a note that I was like, I'm in CM's room. And they're like, they get back to the room like, CM, CM, oh shit, he's in Coach Murphy's room. <laughs> they come and get me. We go back to the hotel room, call my mom, and my dad's like, whatever you do, do not tell your mom what happened. And as soon as I got on the phone with her, I was like, guess what? I got to hang out with Coach Murphy tonight because dad and pop were late, didn't come back from dinner, and she just goes, put your father on the phone. So he, he got got reamed pretty good for leaving, like, a nine-year-old in a hotel in Birmingham by himself, so. Good stuff. But All yeah. right, well, I will uh, – I'll let you – if you can make that one happen, I'll do it. Okay. I don't even know how. I'd... I don't either. Kevin, Kevin Huber would be on my list. I could make Huber happen. Cincinnati through and through. My uh, my uncle and his dad are golf buddies. Oh, there you go. So I can make Huber happen pretty easy. Maybe I'll 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 put out the 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 Bearcat signal, and see if we can get Kevin Huber for next week. Have we have we done? I mean, we've done so many. I know we've done Craig, but have we done Connor? I've done Con. Yeah. Well, yeah. We did, we did Connor last off season. Okay. Dominic Goodman. Oh, we haven't done Goody. Goody would probably be a good one. Armand Ben, since he's back. That'd be an easy yeah. one to get. I think Armand we could make happen. I think the people would love to. If we, well, if we do Armand, that's got, that's got to be a, a four-person. With, with Tony? If we do Armand, we got to have Tony so that we can get those two telling stories. All right, that could be, that could be fun. I know Tony's got some vacation time coming up here soon because I am filling in for him like eight days in a row coming up here, not next week, but the following week. All right. So I'll see what I can do on that. But we'll see if we can get Huber lined up for next week. Right on. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks to Chris Moore, future Skyline franchise owner, Chris Moore. We'll see you next time. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. It's the BCJ Podcast, brought to you by the Holy Grail on BearcatJournal.com.